Hello and welcome to Vibrant Lives Podcast, a podcast dedicated to your health and well-being. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host, a lawyer who retrained as a nutrition scientist. I'm committed to staying up to date with research in the well-being space and sharing with you credible and reliable content about living a healthy, active and fulfilling life. In other words, a vibrant life. On Vibrant Lives Podcast, I interview experts about nutrition, physical health or mental health, and they explain their areas of expertise and provide you with practical knowledge that you can use to improve your own well-being. I also produce my 5-Minute Food Fact series, which are short episodes where I discuss nutrition-related topics. In addition, I write a monthly newsletter, or thereabouts, with topical well-being news and reviews of health-related books. Before I introduce today's guest, I'll quickly acknowledge that any information or advice provided in Vibrant Lives podcast is not intended to be used to treat or prevent medical conditions, and it is never, of course, a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today, I am here with Rick Olderman, sports and orthopaedic physiotherapist. Rick has dedicated his career to solving the puzzle of pain and has developed an approach his Fixing You program that we'll be discussing. His goal in life is to help people eliminate musculoskeletal pain without medication. If you've experienced physical pain or want to avoid it or want to understand more about it, this is a perfect episode for you. Hi Rick, welcome to Vibrant Lives Podcast. Rick, before we dive into your work as a sports and orthopaedic physiotherapist, I'd like to find out a little bit about you, about some things that make make Rick Alderman tick. So, Rick, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up on a small farm in Ohio. And so uh, I, I grew up outside of a township mm-hmm. of 150 people. We oh, had, goodness. We had one stop sign. Wow. <laughs> on your farm, what did you have there? Animals, plants, crops? Yeah. When we purchased our farm, uh, when I was in elementary school, we moved from Chicago, uh, Illinois, to to the farm. So we were not farmers, <laughs> but we bought a farm with sheep and um, let's see. No, we didn't have a cow then, but there were chickens. And so, uh, you know, and then a lot of land around us that the, the sheep grazed on to, um, you know, keep the, the hay down and mm. all that kind of mm. stuff. And then once a year, we'd have them sheared and so forth. So. Uh, and then eventually we built a lake on the farm and, and rented out the land to the other farmers around us. And my brother and I would help bale hay and things like that. That sounds like quite an idyllic childhood, lots of open space and places to run and roam. You know, looking back on it, Amanda, it really was. And mm-hmm. th- at the time, it just is constant work. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, uh, looking back, I, I long for those days again, in that mm. open space. And where are you now? Where are you based? I'm in Denver, Colorado. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Near the near the mountains. A bit of yes. Are you, do you snow ski? I used to snowboard. Yeah. Um, gave myself a couple concussions and oh. just decided to and I've gotten older. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I just decided to put that away. Okay. And you were you were talking about trail trail running there, you know, just a, a minute oh, ago. Yeah. And that's kind of what I do now. Oh, fantastic. Then I imagine there must be some absolutely stunning trails near yeah, you. Mm. I'm very fortunate. 
And you're all, you may have answered my next question, but what is your preferred form of exercise? Running and, you know, a little bit of strength training. So yeah. Those are the two. Mm-hmm. Rick, do you have a favorite book, one that stands out as something that you, you know, maybe go back to and read or just remember as having really enjoyed? Yeah. Uh, you know, well, uh, Joseph Campbell has quite a few books. So I, I, I love the Bill Moyers, you know, Power of Myth series. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, I think about that a lot. Excellent. Um, yeah. So that and the the book that's in my hand is is one that seems to always be meaningful to me. So I, I feel fortunate never to be bored while I'm reading something. Oh, that's great. And do you have anything that you're enjoying listening to at the moment? It could be an audiobook, podcast, music. Uh, you know, I I don't listen to any one thing in particular. Mm. Um, you know, I have a few podcasts that I, you know, skip around to. Yep. But uh, other than that, uh, and, you know, I've never been a big music listener, but uh, I do enjoy music. I just not one of those people who, you know, really consumes music. <laughs> yeah, sure. So a varied, varied interest there. Yeah. So you're a sports and orthopedic physiotherapist. And I want to ask a little bit about how you found yourself in that profession. So did you always know that you wanted to study physiotherapy or was it more of an indirect route? Oh, gosh, it was an indirect route. So uh, when I was an undergraduate in college, I was interested in becoming a doctor. But uh, reality quickly set in and my grades just weren't. <laughs> it's pretty hard. Up to par. And then I graduated not really I, as, a, as a science teacher. And, uh, but I knew I didn't really want to teach. I just mm. tried to get the degree and then I traveled quite a bit. And that's when I came out there to Adelaide among other places. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and then when I returned back to the United States, you know, I was still stumbling around, not sure what to do. And mm. a friend mentioned physical therapy and I had never even heard of it before. And here I am in my late twenties, but I, I grew up on a farm and, you know, we yeah. just didn't have that kind of stuff there. Mm. And so, uh, I, Kind of, it seemed like the perfect fit for me, so that's what I ended up doing. Oh, that's that's really interesting. And also, I understand along the way you've qualified as a personal trainer and a Pilates instructor. This is probably a silly question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Does do those additional um, does that additional training and knowledge does that inform your practice? You know, it does a little bit. And to be honest, Amanda. You know, uh, the reason I became a personal trainer was because I was a failure as a physical therapist. And so when I graduated from PT school and got my first job in a sports and orthopedic clinic, I could help acute issues, but Mm -hmm. I could not help chronic issues. And I didn't understand. So I was sunk into a, a deep depression and I didn't feel like I was capable of, you know, pursuing physical therapy. So I eventually, that was at a small rural town. I yeah. eventually moved to Denver, went to work at a, uh, an elite health you mm-hmm. know, spa here in town. And uh, then I became, you know, a personal trainer because I thought, you know what? I don't trust myself as a physical therapist to help, but you know what? <laughs> Once I became a personal trainer, my schedule was instantly filled with people with chronic pain. Right. And so I was just like, I can't, I can't escape this. And yeah. what, it, what it really showed me, Amanda, was that, you know, it wasn't just me who was failing at helping people with chronic issues. It was everybody, doctors, yeah. 
physical therapists, chiropractors, massage therapists, you name it, personal trainers. And so um, that was a real helpful realization for me. And that's what set me on this path. I find that so interesting. And obviously, to people listening, we will be talking a lot about pain and chronic pain and what Rick has discovered and what he does now. But I thought it might be interesting to ask you, in your opinion, why is it that some of the existing treatments out there, such as um, physiotherapy, chiropractics, whatever, don't really seem to fix the problem of chronic pain? Yeah, well, it's a good question. It's one I've been thinking about a lot. And uh, I believe it's because of our training. Mm. So when we are trained in, in physical therapy school, at least, and I've talked with a few chiropractors who uh, have have also agreed with this yeah. kind of thinking, is that we are taught, we have a million tests to identify a specific tissue that's damaged. Mm-hmm. You know, a million orthopedic tests in physical therapy. We have x-rays, MRIs, you name it. We can, if there's a tear, we'll find it, right? But there's zero tests that tell us why that tear is there. Right. Yep. And so that's where our our, our training is about identifying the tissue and treating Mm -hmm. that tissue, which makes us very good at acute issues. Yes. But if we don't understand why tissues are damaged or hurt, then that doesn't make us very good at chronic issues. Yeah. And so that's where I, I, that's why I feel we are limited. And also the gold standard for inclusion in medical research is a double blind study. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everyone needs to be evidence-based. That's what we're told yeah. all the time. Be mm-hmm. evidence-based, evidence-based. That works great for ide- isolating tissues mm. and studying a specific tissue. Yeah. But you can't I- isolate a system. Yeah. And study and, and do a, a gold, a, you know, a double-blind study on a system. And that's why there's not a lot of research for systems thinking. So I've ca- I called this training component thinking that we have in PT school. And then I call my current thinking systems thinking, which is what helps me solve chronic pain. Yeah, that's that's so interesting because I've heard that kind of, uh, in quotes, criticism um, about medical studies as well in that medicine is very good at dealing with acute pain. But when it comes to chronic issues, there's a lot we don't know yet. Um, well, let's let's sort of dial back a bit and talk about pain itself because, I mean, we all know that pain can take the form of physical or emotional pain. And in terms of physical pain, there's either acute pain such as a burn or a broken leg and chronic or long-term persistent pain. And really the type of pain that we're going to focus on today is chronic musculoskeletal pain. So, Rick, can you explain in lay terms what musculoskeletal pain refers to? Well, uh, it's it, it includes a broad array of types of pain. So, really, any pain that you're experiencing, you know, my assumption is it's a it's a musculoskeletal mm. pain. You know, if it involves movement, if if it's exacerbated by by movement or made better by movement or or worse, you know, with rest or you know, it feels like it's in your joint or in a, a muscle belly yeah. or something like that. That's basically going to be musculoskeletal pain. Yeah. And that is that because in my very, very basic anatomy, because the muscles and the skeleton are all attached. Your anatomy is good <laughs> enough. And you're, you are correct. The muscles and skeleton are connected. 
And that is why musculoskeletal pain, that's what, you know, if you think about it, that term is together. Yeah. You know, muscle skeletal. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's two forms of the same system. It's two yeah. aspects of it. So this is what I think we keep forgetting in, in medicine or what our schools aren't, aren't teaching us. Yeah, no, that sounds, um, as you say, it's a systems, well, your approach is a systems type of approach that brings that all yeah. together. So in terms of pain, besides the very obvious of experiencing pain itself, what are some of the impacts that you've seen when people suffer from chronic pain, like the type of things that might um, affect their lifestyle? So what do you notice? Well, uh, you know, you name it, it's it's basically a degradation of your life, mm. you know, whether you're an athlete or you you stay at home or, you know, you have a sedentary job or an active job, uh, you know, uh, you know, you, your pain will inhibit your ability to live your life fully. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it has such a there's such a broad spectrum of ways that that can affect your your mental health as yeah. well as your physical health. Yeah, I mean that's another example of how perhaps systems thinking can be applied in that it's not just the actual physical pain we're experiencing, it's it, it bleeds into our mental well-being. You know, people that maybe have a chronic back pain and can't get out of bed, I mean, you know, that would be terrible. <laughs> how could that not affect your your mental well-being? Yes, um, well, you know, it goes both ways. So the, the body pain can affect the mind and the mind will affect the body. Mm. And so I, I've come to believe if you go to any bookstore and you look at solutions for pain, you'll see they fall into three broad categories. Some, a category like mine that deals with the musculoskeletal system, a category that deals with dietary allergens, molds, mm. things like mm. that as a source of your pain. And the third are psychological, spiritual, or emotional issues that contribute to pain. Mm. Well, all three of them are correct because they all feed patterns of dysfunction in our body. So if you are chronically stressed or have trauma, your your body tends to tighten up in a certain in certain patterns yeah. that then feed that become the battery for yeah. your chronic pain tension. Same with molds, allergens, gluten intolerance, all other dietary issues, and you know, musculoskeletal issues and yeah. how we move our bodies or use our bodies. Yeah, no, that's so interesting. And I think it's an area where we're, well, you in particular, but many health professionals are really understanding more and more how, you know, it's all related. You know, we, Amanda, we talk about, we, and we've talked about how it's related for years and years mm. and years. And, you know, over these past 10 years, I've really, I think I've really put this together exactly to, to understand the pathway of mm -hmm. how it's related yeah. rather than just saying, oh, there's a connection. You know, I, I use those connections to understand my patient's pain better. And it, it's pretty consistent, it seems. Yeah. Oh, well, that's great. And we will delve into that in a minute. But, mm -hmm. but so let's talk about healing pain. So, Rick, I, I understand that you've spent over 20 years developing an approach to help people eliminate pain without medication. It's called fixing you. And you say that much of our pain comes from 
poor movement pattern. So I'd like to break that down a little bit and understand what you mean by that. So can you explain to us what what are poor movement patterns? I think the best way to answer that Mm. would be to do a little test with you right now on, on the podcast. So most of the people listening to the podcast, if they have any pain, it's going to be back pain. It's mm-hmm. the most, most common type of chronic pain. And I believe it's the most common type of chronic pain because it's the most con- chronically misunderstood right. uh, type of pain. So if everyone just fo- follows me with this test, mm-hmm. you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about in terms of how you're using your body is contributing to your pain. So let's have everyone lie down on, on the floor with your legs straight. And it can if you can't get on the floor, then lie down in your couch or on your bed or something mm-hmm. like that. We're going to lie there for 30 seconds or so. And if you want, I would like you to, you know, slide your hand underneath your low back and feel the space between your low back and, and the floor. And just get a note, just, just notice how uncomfortable your back feels in this position. Okay. So hopefully everyone's done that. And really mm-hmm. folks, if, if, if you're listening to this and it, it seems to make sense, that's really nice. But if you actually do the test, you'll feel the truth of your back pain in your body. And you'll, you'll really understand a major source of your back pain if you, if you just do this test. So please do it, if, especially if you have back pain or have had back pain. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've been on your back now with your legs straight for a little while and you felt how your back feels there. Now I'm going to ask everyone just to bend your knees so your feet are flat on the floor. And if you don't feel a change in your back discomfort uh, in this position, go ahead and hug your knees to your chest and and do that and you'll feel that your back is flatter to the ground in this position either with the feet on the floor or the knees to your chest most 99.9% of all people listening will say that their back feels better when their knees are bent mm-hmm. rather than when their legs are straight and they would then conclude oh well if my back is flatter that means i'll have less pain but that's only part of the of the answer yeah. so the next part of this test is this. I'm going to ask everyone now to stand up and listen to the podcast for the next five minutes. Okay. So stand up there, listen to the podcast. And after a minute or two, you'll probably notice, or you might've already noticed if you're standing already, that your knees are locked straight in a straight back. So what I'd like you to do now is unlock your knees and feel what just happened to your back there. Okay. And if you're not sure, lock the knees one more time straight back and feel what your back just did. You'll notice that when your knees are locked, that your back arches more. And when your knees are unlocked, your back is less arched. Mm-hmm. Now, we just found out on the floor that if your back is more arched, you have more pain. And when your back is flatter, you have less pain. If we now apply to that to how we're standing, if you habitually lock your knees, which almost all people do, that's, that is contributing to the arching of the spine and therefore more back pain. So when you're standing in line at the supermarket or when you're walking from your car to the supermarket, this is when people are locking their knees. And so if you take 10,000 steps a day and you're locking your knees, that's 10,000 little hammers hammering your back because you're causing it to arch every step of the way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you learn to walk and stand with your knees unlocked, you've removed 10,000 hammers a day on your back. This tip alone solves a significant amount of back pain for a lot of people. And that, so that's what I mean by how we are moving is contributing to our, our pain. So just to be really clear about that, when you're talking about 
unlocking your knees? Do you mean just sort of keeping them soft? Is that exactly? Yeah. Mm. Or just not locked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so sure. lock, lock your knees and now just don't lock them. Yeah. So it, it doesn't take much. Yes. But, but you did mention in there um, the word habits and, Yes. So habits are things we do all the time and we often do them without thinking and locking our knees is clearly one of them for many people, for most people from the sounds of it. Mm-hmm. So just explain to us when we have suboptimal or poor movement patterns, how does that impact our body? What what can happen in our bodies? Well, you, you just felt it with the knees unlocking. So what the, what this is showing you even if you have herniated discs, spondylolisthesis, stenosis, and or other conditions of your back, if your back felt better with your knees unlocked, unlocking the knees is not changing the manifestation of all of those structural changes in your back. We're not changing the herniation or the stenosis or spondylolisthesis. Mm-hmm. We're changing the forces acting on those things. And by unlocking the knees and your back feeling better, it's telling you that the hammers that are hammering on those structurals, structures in your back aren't coming from your back. They're coming from your legs. And this is where most physiotherapists, chiropractors, and doctors mm-hmm. aren't really considering are the forces that are generated from your legs that are acting on your spine. Right. I, I like the way you explained that. Do you have some tips then for people say someone who does lock their knees and has back pain and it's a habit, what are some tips you might have to help them break those habits and create better habits? Sure. So over the years, I, I because you're absolutely right, Amanda, no one will remember to do that as often yeah. as they need to, to fix this problem. Mm. Right. And we can go a little bit more deeply into that. But Basically, what I've come up with is if you just put a little piece of athletic tape on the backs of your knees while your knees are soft, you'll notice that when you lock your knees, that tape will pull on your skin Uh, and that'll remind you to stop doing it. Now, the other thing I have people do is switch the watch from one wrist to the opposite wrist. That will annoy them to no end. (laughs) And every time it annoys them, (laughs) they'll say, oh, right, my knees, you know, and Mm. it'll cause them to check in on that. So you need reminders of some yeah, sort. Yeah, little triggers. Right. While we're on back pain, because one of the questions I was going to ask you, which you've already answered, what is what's the most common type of pain, back, hip, knee? And I think back sounds like the most common. A lot of us spend time sitting down. I'm very guilty of that. I sit at my desk, as in right now, while we're recording this podcast. Uh, how does sitting down play into back pain and is it bad for us to sit at our desks all day or does it depend how we sit? You, you're, you're right on the nose. It depends on how you're sitting mm. and what type of problem you have. All right. So let's take our example of your back hurts more when it's arching. Okay. And which is most of the people out there. If you sit in your chair and you're sitting at the front of your chair to lean forward, to work on that computer, Right then nothing is really holding up your spine. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is you're arching your back to hold yourself up. Yeah. And so you're reinforcing the pattern of dysfunction that's actually causing your pain. So uh, there's a lots of different ways to, to solve this. In fact, you, if you just get a, a pillow from your bed 
and shove it behind your back. You might need two pillows, but I would put them up lengthwise instead yeah. of widthwise. Mm-hmm. So that your whole back is getting feedback that, oh, I can relax. And you so you bring the back of the chair to you rather than you scooting back in your chair. Then that will help start to relax this pattern of dysfunction that you're locking your body into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The height of the chair feeds into this. If the chair is too high and the knees move below the hip joints, then that's going to rotate mm-hmm. the pelvis forward, causing the back to arch more. Mm-hmm. All right. Just little things like that. Yeah. Easily solved. Yeah. Um, do you help people perhaps if someone comes in and they do have a desk job, do you sort of help them set up, um, the best way for them to sit or. Oh, oh yeah. By all means, Mm. especially, I I mean, I had a woman one time, Amanda, who literally started crying when we figured out, when we set her up ergonomically to not have pain, she didn't know it was possible to sit without pain. She literally just tears just came to her eyes. So, you know, it's possible. You, We have to think differently. And once again, this person had been to a myriad of other health mm, professionals. Mm. And while the, this is the beauty of understanding things from a system standpoint is these solutions are not complicated, right? Putting pillows behind your back, unlocking mm. your knees. So they're not complicated solutions, but we're not trained to think of the body mm. in this way to even offer a solution like this. Mm. Yeah, I imagine most people going to see a, a physio with a sore back will probably get some kind of treatment on their back and, mm-hmm. you know, just a, a localised sort of treatment um, mm. and perhaps not an overview into their, their lifestyle and how they move and, you know, Correct. what could cause the problem. Correct. I'll just interrupt here for a short moment to tell you about the book review section on my website. I read loads of health and wellbeing related books and when I come across a particularly informative, interesting one, I post a review on my website under a section called Amanda Recommends. So for example, recently I've recommended The Comfort Book by Matt Haig, which is a little gem of a book and it's a collection of writings, poems and quotes to help make the bad days better. And also, A Delicate Game, Power Corruption and Brain Injury by Hannah Walker-Brown. And this book delves into the link between concussive head trauma and brain diseases and how many major sporting codes have resisted acknowledging the link and therefore taking any responsibility for it. However, thankfully, things are changing in this area and it's with thanks to people like Hannah Walker-Brown that that's actually occurring. If you look at my book review section, you'll see a a button there saying purchase the book, which will take you to Amazon. And if you buy the book through this link, at no extra cost to you, I receive a small commission and I'm always very grateful for any support like that. So back to my interview with Rick Olderman. So you have your Fixing You program and I'd Mm. really like to learn more about that and understand um, what it is, um, how you offer it and what about people like me who are not proximate to you? Can we um, use it as well? Um, Just can you talk to us about that? Yeah, what I'd like to do, Amanda, so you really understand what Mm. what my program is, I want to talk to you about the 
the research influences on the program. Yep. So you understand what is involved with this. Sure. So the, my first place that I looked when I realized I was a failure as a physical therapist <laughs> was I remember Dr. Shirley Saruman out of Washington University in St. Louis, who studied movement impairment syndromes. And so I took her courses over the years and read her textbooks and so forth. And that completely transformed my outcomes with my patients. Mm-hmm. But what happens in medicine, and so her focus is biomechanics mostly and understanding these things. So what happens in medicine is when you get good, the next tier of patients starts knocking on your door. And so the next tier of patients started knocking on my door. And these people were, while they benefited from this, they were there was something else that we were missing. And so that's when I discovered Thomas Meyer's work with an anatomy trains, and he's a fascia expert and researcher. Mm-hmm. And he identified that there are uh, super highways of fascia that run through our body from the top of our head all the way down to the bottom of our feet. And we have these super highways along the back of our body, the yeah. side spiraling, the front of our body and so forth. So that when I saw these images, I realized, oh, okay, this helped me understand how things further away were linked into that area of pain. And so those people started getting better. And then the next person started coming out, knocking on my door. And these people seem to have a neurological battery that was charging their bodies to be locked into these painful patterns of dysfunction. And no matter how much I unlocked them, they mm-hmm. would come back the next day locked up again. Right. And so that's when I discovered Thomas Hanna's work with neuro- neurological tension patterns in the body based on our, our reflex patterns we're born with. And his work, is he calls it somatics, Hanna somatics. And so uh, I studied him for several years. And the interesting thing, Amanda, is that Dr. Saruman, Thomas Myers, and Thomas Hanna all discovered the same three patterns of dysfunction causing almost all back pain. Mm, And they all described it from three different points of view Mm -hmm. using different ways of describing it. But they were all the same. And so when I discovered Thomas Hanna had the same three as these other two, I'm just like, my just my head exploded. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, this is it. This is the final yeah. piece. Yeah. And so what I have done over these past decade or two is just understood how we're using our bodies that's causing these patterns of dysfunction that are occurring in our bodies. So that's basically the fixing new method program that I've developed is approaching chronic pain from this biomechanical standpoint, mm-hmm. but it's also heavily influenced by the knowledge of the existence of these fascial lines. Yeah. And this neurological uh, feedback system that we have that we're born with that's charging up the bodies. Yep. So there's a somatics component to the program. There's a there's a changing your habits component of the program. There's a taping component of the program. And uh, so it's it's really a, a very comprehensive yet simple approach to solving pain. So uh, that's in the nutshell. Yes. So what I've done is I've created downloadable home programs mm-hmm. uh, to help people solve their pain. So they you can access all of these online and yes. purchase a program of whatever you need, uh, you know, to do that. And I'll put obviously put links to that in the show notes. Um, can you give us some examples? I think you have different programs for different problems, like maybe for back or hip. Yes. For example. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I have five different programs. I've created mm-hmm. one for back and sciatic pain, one for hip pain a knee pain, foot and ankle pain, and neck pain and headaches. And so you can get, you know, a separate one if, if you want. And, and frankly, the, the back pain, there's a lot of overlap with that with the hip and the knee and yeah. the foot. 
because it's all the same system yeah, of movement, sure. right? So the, the neck pain and headaches is, is a different system, and that solves shoulder issues as they uh, cause chronic neck pain and headaches. And yeah. we can talk about that if you want to. Actually, that's really interesting because I think that ties into the same problem a lot of people have with sitting all day and, mm. you know, having a sore back. People are sort of hunching over and hunching over their screens and whatnot. So, um, yes, talk to us a little bit about that if you could. Yeah. Do you happen to have chronic neck pain, Amanda, or headaches? Not really. Okay. Do I look like I should? <laughs> well, it looks like you're sitting in a chair with no arms on it. Is that correct or not? That is correct, yes. Yeah, so I, that's a recipe for disaster for the neck and head. Mm. I will so just me- say that I do, when I'm in my other office in the city, I do have a better chair yeah. <laughs> with, with arms. I, I'm not judging you. No, no, I don't feel judged. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Keep going. Okay. All right. All right. So so here's the surprising uh secret behind chronic neck pain and headaches is that it has nothing to do with your neck or your head. It has everything to do <laughs> with your shoulder blade. In fact, it's funny. Uh, you know, I've, I've written a series of books uh, and they're available on Amazon. I wrote those about 10 or 15 years ago. And I was looking over one of the reviews for it. And she said, this is the only book that's helped me. And the reason it helped me because it has not one neck pain, neck exercise in it, not one. <laughs> and it was like all in caps or something like this. And I just thought it was the funniest review because it's true. <laughs> but anyway, so the what's going on here is if, if we look at the human body and folks, if you're not getting, if you're not going to watch this on YouTube or something, just Google the skeleton and you'll see that the most of the skeleton is comprised of these long bones. But there's two areas where we don't have long bones. One is the pelvis, where we have these flat, broad bones for the ilium. And we all know that the pelvis is the center of function for the low back and lower mm. body system. Well, the other area is the shoulder blade. That is the center of function for our upper body and neck system. And so there are significant, there are rules about how the shoulder blade should be resting or moving. And there are significant attachments from the shoulder blade into the neck bones and the base of the skull. So when there is dysfunction here, it's transmitted via these muscles to the neck and the base of the skull. In fact, in the last 20 years, I can't remember the last chronic neck pain or headache patient I had that the problem wasn't the shoulder blade. And so uh, the most common dysfunction that's occurring with the shoulder blades is that they're resting too low. Mm-hmm. And so this is why I made the comment about your chair and not using your <laughs> arms, because if you're typing at a computer oh, or sitting for a long periods of yeah. time and you have no support, then gravity is just going to be pulling yeah. these things down. And also the, the act of reaching down to your keyboard activates the depressors of the shoulder blades to depress them even more. Lastly, on top of this, then we go to yoga, Pilates, dance, gymnastics, or, or things like this co- courses. and the cueing in there says to bring your shoulder blades, squeeze them into the spine and bring them down and back into your office and back pockets. Well, that is the exact opposite of how the shoulder blades should be functioning. This wow. actually is an aesthetic that's, that's come over into yoga and Pilates from dance. I don't believe if you look at the ancient yoga mm-hmm. uh, teachings that any of them mentioned to bring your shoulder blades down and back into the opposite back pockets. This is an aesthetic because we value the long, beautiful, slender neck of dance. And the only way to create that is by pushing the shoulder blades down. 
And this is why dancers have lots of chronic neck pain and headaches. A lot of them are sidelined from their love of dance because mm. of it. So wow. uh, that's what's going on with the neck pain and headaches. So my neck pain and headaches program will solve shoulder blade dysfunction as it relates to neck pain and headaches. And I can teach your, I can show you a really easy test for your listeners to know right mm. now whether the shoulder blades are part of, are the cause of their chronic neck pain, if you want to see that. Yes. And, and I'll, I'll do it alongside <laughs> as we're talking. Okay. All right. So basically what, so let's say you're the one with chronic neck pain and headaches. You need a helper. They're going to stand behind you. Ah, okay. I'll okay. do it later. <laughs> all right. All right. So you're going to get a helper to stand behind you. And what you're going to do is you're going to turn your head to the left, to the right, look up, look down and get a sense of your pain and range of motion restrictions because of your pain. All right. Then what you're going to do is you're going to get someone to come in behind you and put their hands in your armpits, and they're going to lift up your shoulder blades about a half inch to an inch higher. Your job as the patient is to let them lift it. Relax your shoulder blades as much as you can, and they're going to jiggle them around a little bit like this to make sure that they are relaxed. So after about 15 or 30 seconds, you're then going to turn your head left, right, up, and down again to see if your pain is decreased. Their hands are still holding up your shoulder blades for you. 99% of the people out there with chronic problems here will say, oh yeah, that feels a lot better. Mm. That's the signal that your shoulder blades are the cause of your chronic. This is only a 15 or 30 second test. Imagine if you fix that all day long, then you would have this chronic stress removed from your neck and, and head region. So the, there's going to be a subset of people out there who are so tense and in so much pain, they can't relax their shoulder girdle right. system. And so they say, oh, this doesn't make any difference for me. Well, then here comes the last part of the test. Then the person removes their hands from the armpits, lowers them back down. And even those people usually at that point suddenly now met with the force of the weight of their whole upper body system on their neck again. Real, the, then they say, oh my gosh, that is killing my neck. And they didn't realize it before because they were just tense and not used yeah. and just in so much pain anyway. So if you didn't get it when the shoulder blades are up, you might get it when the shoulder blades come back down. And that that would be the, the final portion of that test. Easy test. Uh, and it's pointing to the shoulder blades as the cause of your pain. Almost no one tests this though. No, I've never heard of that. Um, lots of things are going through my head as you're talking there. First of all, I've spent a lot of my life thinking about pushing my shoulder blades back. Um, yes. It's something I think about often, actually. I catch myself maybe an image if you're walking past a window or something and you think, oh, I'm not standing properly and pull the shoulders back. And the other thing is, and I guess the solution to this would be in your video, but you can't have someone walking behind you all day <laughs> picking up your shoulder blades. So no matter how pleasant that would be for both of you. <laughs> yeah. Need a, hel <laughs> a, a helper to keep your alignment the whole time. Um so I assume you've got some exercises and cues for people about that in your video as well. Of course I do. Mm, but mm. let's go let's go deeper into what you just hit on as the major reason why people are doing this. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Posture. Yeah. So the posture strategy, if you if you look at the skeleton and the musculoskeletal system, you'll see that our shoulder blades are resting on top of our rib cage. It's a floating system. Yeah. 
They are not designed to create posture. That is not their job. Their job is to help lift the arm to to either weight bear on our arms or lift and reach things. Yeah. Posture creation is not their job, but that's what these this cueing is teaching them to be. And that's why you're pulling them back like this because mm-hmm. you think that's the way you've got to create better posture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is actually deepening the problem because the muscles that are pulling the shoulder blades back, most of those are scapular depressors yeah. and pulling them down and back at the same time. So let's go over the correct way to achieve good posture. So you put one hand on your chest and one hand on your belly. Take a deep breath in and you'll feel your chest rise. And when you exhale, you'll feel that chest go back down. Feel mm-hmm. that, Amanda? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, inhale again. Exhale all the way, and but only let your chest go down 99% of the way. Not that last little teeny tiny bit. All right? So it's being held up just 1%. And you'll notice that your stomach muscles have just engaged ever so slightly to help you do that. That is your core holding up your rib cage for you. That is what they are designed to do. And you'll notice the focus isn't to engage the core. You'll notice that we had you engage the rib cage. Mm. That activates the core for you. So you don't have to walk around thinking about contracting your stomach muscles all the time. In fact, that'll probably take you in the wrong direction. Instead, think about just lifting up your rib cage, maybe a millimeter. And if you do that, it will activate the core, which will then help stabilize your back and pelvis because the core feeds into the pelvis and back, right? But it will also lift the rib cage for you. And then the second part of this then equation is to bring your arms down by your side and jiggle the shoulders around, make big circles and really loosen them because the arms should be like loose ropes dangling by your sides. Now, you'll probably notice, Amanda, that when you've done that, you've just released your core contraction, though, too. Yes, yes. And that's because you've tied posture to your shoulders Mm. instead of your core. So when you relax your shoulders, you've let go of your whole posture strategy. Now you can train yourself to decouple this relationship because they're not supposed to be connected like this. Do you know what's so interesting about that, just listening, is it kind of makes sense because you have, well, we all have big core muscles you know there's a lot of them and they're big and our muscles the back of our shoulders are not are not big so it doesn't make sense that they should be under tension all day you are absolutely Mm -hmm. right amanda it's a very astute observation and it's one of the things that's helped me figure this out is i call it looking at the architecture of the body Mm. so if we look at the architecture of our body we'll gain clues as to how the body should be functioning Same as when I took you through those broad bones in the pelvis and the shoulder blade, so different than every other place. They must have unique functions that are similar, right? Same with your observation about we massive core muscles, many layers deep, you know, all connected to our rib cage. Why would we do sit-ups, right? To make those strong. That's not functional, you know? Yeah. This is going to be a very interesting journey for me when I dive into some of your videos, I think. For everyone. Uh, But but here's the thing, Amanda, is that people almost immediately start feeling better when they correct these issues because they've been told to do them incorrectly all their life. And and because they haven't gotten better, they believe that they're broken and they're not broken. 
They just haven't been looked at from a system standpoint Mm. before. Mm. When you're wandering down the street, say you're shopping or something, do you do you notice people's postures and and think, oh gosh, you know, most people have got a poor posture, or do you switch off from that, or is that just so ingrained you can't help it? I never switch it off. In fact, I just made some videos. <laughs> I, I just flew somewhere. I was at an airport and I was watching people walk. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. So I started videotaping these. I'm not sure if I've put them on TikTok yet or not or on my YouTube channel, but I've created a series of airport videos where I'm commenting on people's gait patterns yeah. <laughs> and, and, and theorizing what type of pain they might have and pointing out what these problems are in people's gay patterns. So you're right. In fact, my family doesn't want to go to a mall with me anymore <laughs> because that's all I talk about. And that's all I'm looking at is, you know, all of these biomechanical markers. <laughs> I hope your family all have good posture. <laughs> yes, they do, whether they like it or not. Yeah, and if they, they don't, I let them know it. <laughs> Another thing I'd like to talk about with you is how we train and uh, exercise. So in my own lifetime, I was a rower, then trail runner and triathlete. I've seen an enormous change in the approach to training, um, most notably the inclusion of strength training. Um, In the sort of olden days, if you were a runner, you just run and that was that. But now we know that it's really important to strength train um, and particularly as you get older, and particularly for women, I think, as they um, head into menopause, it's 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 vital to keep up that strength training. So how does strength and flexibility play into keeping us pain-free? Yeah, so let's go back to our back example, mm-hmm. all right, where we're locking our knees. So what is happening, especially because we're now in a culture that sits a lot, and you, yeah. you brought that up earlier. So what happens, Amanda, is that the muscles in front of our thighs become tighter yeah. because we're sitting all the time, mm. right? So then they're tight when we sit, and then when we stand up, the length of that muscle, uh, which attaches to the pelvic bones in the front here, then pulls the pelvic bone forward which then causes the back to arch more. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. And 99% of back pain is because of excessive arching. So stretching the thigh muscles is part of the equation of restoring balance to the system. However, we also touched on the fact that emotional, psychological, and stress issues can cause chronic pain. So this is where I start geeking out a little bit, all right? Often, the habit of locking the knees back is a stress response pattern. Especially if we are anxious, we're in a new situation, Mm -hmm. we're nervous about something, we tend to, if you think about it, if you were out in the wild in a scary place, you'd be as tall as you could, right, to look around. So, and you would be stressed and anxious. Uh, So, locking the knees back is part of our mental, uh, part of our mental, it's an aspect of our mental manifestation in our bodies. And so what that does then, by locking the knees back, that pitches the pelvis forward automatically, as we already felt in our test, right? But by pitching the pelvis forward and to lock the knees back, we're actually semi-contracting the quad, the thigh muscles. So not only biomechanically is that just arching the back, but now you're tightening another muscle group that is more actively 
generating force on the pelvis mm. causing that pattern too. So in my program, I have strengthening and stretching exercises, of course. But if you don't solve the habit that's generating the tighter, yeah. weak muscle, then you're going to come back the next day and have to do it all over again. And this right. is yes. what I believe that we've been missing in rehab and, and medicine is this understanding, this link between the mental ask, the mental generation of those patterns, the physical manifestation of the repercussions of those patterns, yeah. and the, the types of patterns that are causing these physical changes in the body. Mm. So when we do strength and flexibility, it's important to do the right type of exercise then, isn't it? Not just sort of in, you know, in, ingrain those patterns even more. Correct. And then this is, I mean, so one of the, I, I owned a clinic for about 10 years here in Denver. And, you know, I, I trained all my therapists to, to treat pain from the system standpoint. And so what I've learned by not only my patients, but watching them with theirs too is that the same patterns of dysfunction might cause back pain in you and sciatic pain in another person and SI joint pain in another person and hip pain in another person. So the same pattern, though, is what is the problem. And how that pattern is generated by how you're moving is virtually identical. Everyone is virtually identical. Lock in the knees there's only so many ways that you can lock and eat, mm, right? Mm. And so it's going to play out in different ways in different people based on their genetics, their work history, where they grew up, sports they've played, yeah. training habits, and so forth. So what the reason, and this is what I get from a lot of therapists is, what's your compliance rate with your patients doing your exercises? And my compliance rate is nearly 100%. That's amazing. The, <laughs> the reason it is, is because I don't just throw exercises at people hoping that something works. Every single thing I give someone has been tested and retested in the clinic before I even give it to them. Yeah. And it's got to prove to them that it's going to solve their pain. Mm. So then we get the patient buy-in. They know, oh, I've got to do this because my back feels better when I do this. Compliance goes way up. And so when you talk about doing strengthening and stretching exercises, yes, but wouldn't you like to save a lot of your time and be very precise with your strengthening and stretching exercises rather than just do an hour? I mean, I have so many people coming in with a whole notebook full of exercises, you know, and I just have them throw them all out. <laughs> and the reason is, is because if you're coming to see me, it's because you're having pain. Yes. Well, you've already proven that none of those exercises are helping. Let's move yeah. on. Yeah, very interesting. One thing I've been wondering is how, what about when, I mean, if someone buys a video for back pain, for example, um, but you don't see them as a patient, how do you know it's going to work? Yes, because like I said, first of all, the, the downloadable home programs are fixing the patterns, the common patterns of dysfunction causing pain. And then I track that because I have everyone fill out what's called, what I call a pain disability index. Ah, uh, yeah, I saw that. Mm. Yeah, and so they fill that out. It generates a number that equates to their pain. Mm -hmm. It's like eight questions. It, it generates a number, and they fill it out at the very beginning of their program and at the end of each week. And they compare their numbers. That objectively tells them whether they're getting better or not. Yeah. And it helps us know 
at what point at what point in the program they should begin what at what phase mm-hmm. and when to move forward with the program to more aggressive strengthening exercises yeah, sure mm-hmm. oh that's really interesting i like the fact that you monitor that so that would give you some pretty good data to show therefore that it's um it's working exactly yeah now do i have time to mine that data no <laughs> so, oh, well. so, at least not yet I'm, I'm i'm busy with a lot of other things right now mm. but i intend to because i want to take that data and i want to show it to insurance companies i want oh, to show right. it to corporations and say look th- these back pain people have decreased their back pain by 50 percent in two weeks just by doing these exercises mm. and it costs this much money how much are you spending you know to do this yeah, we we can make this so much more efficient, and it feeds. If we into, all get on the same page, yeah, productivity and all sorts of things. Oh, huge, yeah. huge! And I imagine yeah. particularly for um, people that get recurrent headaches um, and neck pain, oh. you know that that can you can't concentrate. I, no. you know, on your job if you have a terrible headache. So another thing that I've learned over the years is that it's important to for I think anyone to keep moving, to exercise, um, just in terms of your mental and physical health, it makes you feel better. Um, So can you give us some guidance, Rick, on what kind of exercises we should do, how often um, and for how long? And I'm talking about um, a person who wants to, you know, maintain their mobility Fit, be fit and healthy. I'm not talking about pro athletes, just your average person. Yeah. Well, my first rule is if it hurts, don't do it. Yeah. Because your body. So this is, this is a really difficult thing for people to wrap their Mm. minds around is, is that of pain as a teacher. So most of us in life, especially if we've had chronic pain, just try to avoid it. And so we avoid the exercises that are doing it but we don't understand why those exercises are causing Mm. our pain. But those exercises are teaching you what your body is having a hard time knowing how to do. So when I have people do exercises, you know, we're monitoring their pain to know whether, like we do a test retest. I mentioned this earlier. So let's say, let's say, Amanda, that you have pain when you bend over. Okay. And so I would then ask you, okay, so where, at what point in bending over are, do you have pain? And so you, you bend over and you say, oh, I don't have any pain yet. Oh, now I have pain. Yeah. So it's not really bending over. It's coming up from bending over that's having pain, right? Two different things. And so the next thing is, okay, and, and is that pretty consistent? What, what level of pain do you have? And does it happen at the same point each time you do this? Yeah, it's happening at that same point same level. Okay. Then I give you an exercise that I believe is going to solve a biomechanical problem in your body. And then I have you retest that pain again. If it's better, we know that test is important for you. Yeah. All right. And if it's not, then we know that test is not directly impacting your pain right now. And so in in terms of uh, getting people to exercise, if you exercise with the idea of testing, retesting, and trying to solve things, then that's when pain is acceptable because you're trying to figure it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you're if if you're just running because you have this script in your head that says no pain, no gain, 
Oh, that's that's me. not that's not the same thing, mm. right? Athletic pain where your muscles are fatiguing and burning, mm. and you know you have to push through. That's one thing. Yeah, but chronic pain is a different thing. And so a lot of people with chronic pain have confused those messages, yeah, thinking sure. that they need to do painful things to solve their pain. Mm. No, it's the exact opposite. Yeah, that that is so interesting. So if you get to a point where you say someone who's moving well, they're pain free, what would you recommend for that type of person in terms of um, how much they should exercise and and what types? Well, uh, the first is I listen to them. Where yeah. do they want to go with things? You know, so you know I'm not I, I'm very much of a good enough type of uh, person in terms of exercise and rehab. Yeah. I don't feel that we all must achieve this enormous standard, you mm. know, of movement and exercise in order to be a good human being. Some people just want this much, yeah. you know, and so if that's all they want then I'll get them there. So it really depends on what your goals are, but really understand why you have the goals that you have. Yeah. That because that, that motivation of what, of your reasons behind trying to do what you want to do, maybe you need to revisit those uh, so that you have a healthier set of goals. Yeah. And goals that you can actually achieve, which therefore makes you feel good. Do you have ever have any chronic pain yourself or do you know how to prevent that happening? Oh, sure. I mean, I, I've had pain, back pain since before physical therapy school. So part of all of this is me solving my own back. pain. Mm, mm. So, I mean, if I use my body incorrectly, I'll have back pain, but 99.9% .9 of the time during the week, I have no back pain whatsoever yeah. and I can do everything that I want to do. Yeah. Great. And so, so not having pain is not a realistic goal because we are human. Understanding your pain and what to do to solve it is a realistic goal. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense because sometimes pain occurs that is, you know, not our own fault. You know, we could fall over while we're running or something and, and end up in a painful situation or we could sleep in a funny way without knowing it and wake up with a sore shoulder or something like that. Well, I would beg to differ then that okay. in both of those situations, <laughs> it's maybe your fault, right? <laughs> what about sleeping though? Yeah. So if your body was better going to sleep, then you wouldn't wake up with pain because of it. So okay. this, I get this question a lot is mm. what kind of mattress should I get? No, it's not the mattress's fault that you have pain. It's you. And so you're the common denominator throughout your whole life. And so what we need to solve is the reason you're having pain. And then it doesn't matter what mattress you use. Yeah. And, point. you know, and then if you have fallen, well, did you fall because you have less stability on the stance leg at that certain point? Do you have balance issues? Is there a weakness issues? Were you fatigued? Mm. All sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good point. <laughs> point taken. <laughs> and, um, Eric, I believe that you have a book. <laughs> coming out this year called Solving the Pain Puzzle. So first of all, congratulations. Tell us when uh, that book will be available, where we can find it, and what can we expect to learn from it? Or well, some of the things, obviously you can't give the whole thing away. 
Well, I, I wish I knew when it was coming out. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm only the author, so the publisher hasn't told me yeah. yet. But it's going to ha- come out sometime. I'm told this spring, March or April. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, that's quite soon. Uh, mm. Yeah, and, and so uh, the the book and the subtitle to the book is uh, "Cases from 25 Years as a Physical Therapist." So what this book is is my search to understand these issues causing Mm -hmm. chronic pain and how I solve them in particular cases. All right. And so my hope is that when people read this, these stories, they will find something of their own story in these stories and, and have hope because they'll realize, Oh my gosh, no one has ever looked at me like this before. Mm. I wonder if this could be the thing that solves my pain. That's what I want people to leave from it with that renewed hope that they're not broken. Yeah, And so that's the purpose of writing the book. Now, in terms of giving it away, uh, I have posted three chapters from the book on my rickolderman.com website. Okay. So if you, just, if you, if you go there yeah. and you see the patient stories tab, yep. you'll see three chapters from the book and you can ah, get an okay. idea of the kinds of stories and, and my approach to solving different types of things yep. in the book. And then also... One of my goals, Amanda, is I would love to be the first physical therapist on the New York Times bestsellers list. So <laughs> uh, I put a, a pre-order uh, link there if people want okay. to pre-order the book Excellent. so they come to them when, when it comes out. I would love for that to happen too. Well, that, so, that would be great, wouldn't it? And it would be great because it would mean that people are invested in and caring about their own health, which is always yes. a good thing. Yes. And mm. I, I think it would be a, a great gift. Uh, for people who are friends or family of people with pain and to yeah. say, hey, this sounds like something new. Maybe why don't you check this out? See if this interests you. Yeah. And then that's when my home programs come in. Mm. They're very affordable. I mean, uh, and, you know, they're very effective too. So, Thank you for all the work that you're doing in this space. It sounds like it can be so enormously helpful for so many people. Um, and I'm pleased to be helping you get the word out there about it. So Rick, just to wrap up, what are some of the most important life lessons that you've learned? It doesn't have to be work-related, it could be anything. Yeah, um, I think, you know, the the way I started figuring all this out and what I've noticed is uh, that when I observe what actually is happening is when I really learn about people and things. So slowing down to observe more mm-hmm. is is really helpful when I'm presented with a problem that I need to try and, and understand, no matter where that is in my life. Yeah. So slowing down and observing. And the final question that I like to ask all of my guests is if you could recommend two things, anything at all, that people could do to improve their well-being, what would they be? Well, my, my bias is pain, right? Mm-hmm. And so my one of those things would be to not be afraid of your pain any longer, to see it as a teacher yeah. that's trying to show you a problem. You just haven't found the right people to help you understand that problem mm-hmm. yet. And the, the other is that uh, I believe that you know our natural state is to be pain-free. Yeah. If you cut your skin, it heals. If you break a bone, it mends. So the presence of pain in your body means that there are barriers to something occurring. And I've I think that you can eliminate those barriers or mm. most of them. So don't give up. 
That's a very hopeful message. I like that. And I think it's one that probably many people would really like to hear, that there are solutions. I believe it. Mm, mm. So, Rick, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our chat today. And um, I will put links to everything in the show notes, but perhaps you could just uh, tell us where is the best place to to find you and follow you. Yeah, rickolderman.com. It's R-I-C-K-O-L-D-E-R-M-A-N.com. Has all my programs. I have some other free stuff on there. Um, you know, my book chapters, practitioner program, blog. So I'll, I have a podcast too, Amanda. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> so you can find that there too. Um, not nearly as successful as yours, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, and, it is uh, fun. So, yeah. So the, that, that side is kind of the clearinghouse for everything that I'm kind of Yeah. Excellent. Doing. Okay. That's brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Rick. And as I said, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I feel like I've learned quite a lot today as well. And now I've got some homework to do. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> and that was Rick Olderman, sports and orthopedic physiotherapist and pain expert, explaining his systems approach to eliminating pain. The episode was full of practical advice, and overall, I found it a conversation suffused with hope, and I certainly hope that you felt the same way. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Rick, and if you did, please share the podcast and tell your friends about it, because word of mouth is still one of the best ways for people to find out about Vibrant Lives podcast. And if you happen to be feeling enthusiastic, please take a minute to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find my podcast and I'm always very grateful for that. Please follow me on Instagram at vibrant underscore lives underscore podcast and on Facebook at Vibrant Lives Podcast. On my website, vibrantlivespodcast.com, you'll find a library of all my podcast episodes and reviews of books I recommend about health and well-being. You can also subscribe to my usually monthly newsletter where I keep you up to date with developments in the health and well-being space. Please DM me or send me an email via the contacts page on my website and let me know what you'd like to hear more of or if you'd just like to say hello. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well, live vibrantly.